Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Commodities boom or bust. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is commodity investing legend Rick Rule. Hi, Rick. It's great to see you. Maggie, thank you so much for having me back. I enjoy these conversations. Yeah, so do we, and we're lucky to have you. Um, so it's a, it's a great time because we were getting a lot of questions about energy. A lot of people were bullish on it, and then a lot of people are looking at their holdings and thinking, what's going on? Uh, you know, there's so much sort of confusion and chop in the macro picture, um, which is why we kind of started with that question at the top. But broadly, how are you feeling about what's going on in the commodity complex and prices? You know, where do you think we're at? Uh, Mixed, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think there's any doubt across a broad range of industrial commodities that absent a recession or depression, note I said absent a recession or depression, (laughs) that uh, we're going to have reduced commodity supplies five years from now, and hence uh, a rise in prices. You can have reduced supplies if you have reduced demand due to a recession and have no impact on price. So assuming that we don't have a fairly significant recession or depression, five years out, a broad range of industrial commodities will be in short supply and the prices will go up. That short supply is due to very simple factors. There's more of us on earth (laughs) and all of us would like higher material living standards, but as a society, we've underinvested in productive capacities around natural resources for 30 years. And those chickens are coming home to roost. We can talk about precious metals separately, but I would suspect that the wind too, at least in the intermediate and longer term, is in the sales of precious metals for reasons that we can discuss. Yeah, so I feel good about the complex. Yeah, let's separate them out a little bit because you make a good yep. point. And it, it, when I asked that, it was loaded because commodities is such a big space. So, but let's stick on the um, on on the first part, which I think is kind of connected to energy. Right. Uh, when, you're, when you're talking about that sort of supply situation. So Andreas and David Rosenberg had a, a very interesting conversation yesterday as part of our Festival of Learning. They were talking about the economy and what we can expect Uh, from growth. Let's have a listen to a clip of that, and then we'll talk on the other side. The Fed's telling you that they're expecting, the Fed is implicitly telling you that they're expecting three quarters of negative growth, Q2, Q3, Q4. All this is saying that they're saying, they've been saying all along, we are prepared to tolerate. In fact, it's desirable to have a mild recession uh, to kill the greater evil of inflation. Um, And to which I say to the Fed, we'll be careful what you wish for. Uh, but the one thing I do know is that in recessions and the Fed cuts rates and they might be late, uh, you know, he compares himself to Paul Volcker at every opportunity, you know, Paul Volcker did raise rates into the 1981-82 recession. Uh, and then when he saw the white to the eyes of the recession, he saw inflation come crashing down. He saw, uh, the resource gap and the labor market widen out. Uh, the greatest inflation dragon slayer of all time, Paul Volcker, became the greatest interest rate dragon slayer of all time. Uh, and remember, he raised rates in the early stages of that recession, just like the Fed's doing right now. Um, although I think for the time being, they're going to be on hold. In fact, I think they're done for the cycle. But 
the damage has already been done. Uh, the recession, you know, uh, we could be just quibbling over the timing. And you can catch that full interview with Rosie and all of the sessions from the Festival of Learning on our website. Um, it was a fantastic discussion. It ranged across macro, psychology, uh, and trading strategies. Great stuff. Uh, if you're not already a member, hit the QR code and get your free trial. Really fantastic conversation. So, Rick, wh when we think about that, I mean, certainly Rosie's been calling for a recession for a long time, but a lot of people are concerned about the growth side. How do we balance the tension between demand, which seems front and center right now, and the supply situation that you just described? I think you assume, first of all, that you're never going to get it right. Yeah. Uh, life is not about certainties. It's about a range of probabilities. And I don't think in your own portfolio that preparation for the two is mutually exclusive. Uh, I wouldn't pretend to be an economist, particularly one of Rosenberg's stature. I've been a fan of his for many years. I'm more of an investor or a speculator. <laughs> and in my earlier life, I would be described as a used money salesman. So what I would suggest that there isn't the, is that there isn't the certainty that he hopes for. Mm. The idea, as an example, that you would take a politician at his or her word seems odd to me. Uh, I think the way that the world sits now that what they say is true, that they are willing to take uh, a bit of an economic slowdown in order to tame uh, inflation. But to the extent that they got pushback from major donors uh, or large voting constituencies, I believe they could and would turn on a dime. I also am not certain to the extent to which they can continue to raise interest rates, at least in the political context. I believe it's something that they should do, but suggesting that they will do what they should do, I think represents some form of naivete. You will look as a consequence of uh, the banking problems uh, about the fact that we have a mismatch between mark to market in bank obligations that uh, exceed the book equity of a hundred and something banks in the United States. Uh, that only gets worse if interest rates are allowed to rise. Although letting interest rates rise is the right thing to do. Is the Fed actually willing to do that? I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying that the jury is out. From my own point of view, uh, I need to play a range of probabilities. Uh, I need to play things like oil and gas, which I know will do well over five years. And I need to play precious metals, which will do well if the Fed loses its nerve. <laughs> yeah, you bring you bring up a great point. Uh, and we've been discussing that a lot, you know, whether the Fed is backed into a corner. Anyone who hasn't checked out my chat with Luke Groman, I, I encourage you to. Ral's been talking about this a lot as well. So it sounds like you're you're aware of the probabilities, but you're really keeping your eye focused on that longer term structural story around supply shortages. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I'm doing that. I'm paying attention to that, which I think is inevitable rather than perhaps eminent. The other thing that I've learned in my own life is I make more money on the micro than the macro, mm. <laughs> which is to say, even if the longer narrative is true, which I suspect it is, what matters most is how you allocate capital, uh, you know, the companies that you buy. And I've learned a third thing, which is to say, I make more money investing in natural resources when the specific subsectors are out of favor than yeah. they than when they are in favor. The truth is that ours is a very cyclical business. 
And in natural resources, if you aren't a contrarian, you are very likely to become a victim. <laughs> I, li I like that. Well, you know a thing or two about being a contrarian. I know that. Do, do you see this, you know, we'll get a little bit more specific with this, but do you see this pullback as an opportunity then? Well, certainly in energy, I see it as a very large opportunity. You know, markets work. They're messy. Everybody wants to be a contrarian when it's popular, but that sort of defeats <laughs> defeats the purpose. Uh, you know, during the COVID thing, when the oil price fell to $20, well, to zero briefly, nobody wanted to own oil, uh, even though the rationale for owning oil was as simple as believing your car was going to start in five years. If the oil price didn't go back to 60, you wouldn't have gasoline. When that was obvious, nobody wanted to own it. When the price went to 100, the price didn't have to go higher. Uh, arguably, it had to go lower. Everybody wanted to go, uh, own oil. Mm. We have a situation now where, in particular, the U.S. domestic natural gas price has fallen from $12 a million BTU below $4 per million BTU. That makes it, from the point of view of a foreign buyer, substantially more attractive than it was before. And yet people hate it. Uh, sometimes, I guess at age 70, they just make my life too easy. Uh, <laughs> so, so everyone's late. They're, they're, they're late to it. Or early. Yeah. Uh, you know, it depends on how you look. Uh, we can make the case in this interview that most of this market is underinvested in natural resources. Uh, that might not be true for your listeners, but most of the market is underinvested in natural resources. And in that case, they are early uh, for those people who loved oil uh, at $100 and are having trouble with unrequited love at $70, uh, all I can tell them is that, as an example, the oil industry on a global basis is underinvesting in sustaining capital by a billion dollars a day. That underinvestment means that assuming that demand even holds steady, that oil prices rise. It's as simple as that. It's a capital-intensive business. If you don't apply the capital, you don't have a business. It really, truly is as simple as finding oil companies that are bucking the trend and making sustaining capital investments so that they maintain the free cash flows that they're enjoying today and then letting time do its work for you. Interesting. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So. You mentioned precious metals as well. What are your thoughts around that space? We talked a lot about gold uh, when you were last on. If the big thinkers of the world, uh, the ones that uh, Rosie describes, mm. uh, actually are successful in bringing down the rate of inflation uh, while keeping nominal interest rates a little higher than they were, specifically if they are able to generate uh, a real yield, uh, that is to say a savings yield that's ahead of the range of inflation, they're going to clobber the gold price. I think the probability of that hovers somewhere around zero. Uh, if you look at the arithmetic around them being able to accomplish that, and I say arithmetic because the narrative is abundant, uh, we have on balance sheet obligations in this country exceeding $32 trillion. We have net present value of off-balance sheet obligations around $100 trillion. We solve this, salvage this debt problem, solve the debt problem with a budget that's in deficit, $2 trillion a year. If you believe that this government is going to balance the budget 
and begin to pay down the debt, then probably you don't want to own gold. Let's look at some more arithmetic. Gold does well when people are concerned about the efficacy of savings instruments. Premier savings instrument in the world, premier security in the world is the U.S. 10-year treasury. Let's look at the math. They pay you 375 basis points in a currency that they say is deteriorating in value uh, at 7% compounded. In other words, the U.S. government solemnly swears that they're going to reduce your spending power by 3% a year compounded for 10 years. Jim Grant calls that return-free risk. If you believe that we're going to have a, a positive real interest rate, which is to say, if you believe that the rate of inflation is going to fall below the U.S. 10-year treasury rate, you shouldn't own gold. If you're a skeptic and you don't take the politicians at their word, perhaps you should consider owning gold. Final piece of math, Maggie, and this one, well, this one's really uh, compelling, I think. The market share of gold in the United States as a savings and investment asset is less than one half of 1%. The four decade mean is 2%. If negative real interest rates, debts and deficits, bond disintermediation, uh, all the wins in gold sales uh, come to pass as I believe they will. I'm not trying to say that gold is going to win the war against the U.S. dollar or win the war against the U.S. Treasury. I just think that demand is going to return to the four-decade mean. If that happens, demand for precious metals and precious metals-related assets quadruples. Which is huge. I know people, <clears throat> whenever we talk about gold, we've discussed this, People are perennially disappointed, right? There, it's just yep. like the 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 narrative, the case is there, the arguments are there, and then it just never happens. Um, someone asking possible level two thousand five hundred for gold on the high side. I mean, do you have a target, or are you so long term that you're just betting it's going to go up? Yeah, I, I'm I'm too old for that, frankly. I've had yeah. a lot of targets uh, over time, and I've there's so many variables that go into it. The trying to know a specific target is the same as trying to know the unknowable, which is really a waste of time. Here's what I can say. Uh, expectations for gold were set in the 1970s when the price ran from $35 an ounce to $850 an ounce. You know, I got to say, I don't see a 25 bagger in gold. I, I think those expectations are stupid. For me, I, I segregate between owning gold, which to me is an insurance asset, and gold stocks, which are investments. With gold as an insurance asset, when I look back to the year 2000, I've been I've been suited extremely well. Uh, gold has protected my purchasing power. It's protected my purchasing power as well or better than any other asset class in my or anybody else's portfolio for 20 years. People who own gold as an insurance policy have not been disappointed, provided that they're sober. Um which we can't promise on a Friday. Afternoon. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I can only promise for right now. Uh, with regards to gold uh, stocks as an investment class, they have disappointed me. The valuations of gold stocks, if you value them on a net present value basis relative to enterprise uh, value, are as inexpensive as I have seen them in 45 years. Uh, so I have been disappointed in the gold equities as an asset class, but I note that as an investor or a speculator, if there is an asset class that I'm attracted to <laughs> and the price goes down, it became more rather than less attractive. 
from an arithmetic point of view. So I'm buying the gold stocks. Just a quick moment to remind you, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now back to today's analysis. So, so you're buying the, the miners, is yes, that sir. right? Or Because yes, there's, we've gotten a lot of questions about, okay, if I want to have more exposure to gold, and we're going to jump into some more specific portfolio questions a little bit later in the show. Um, so if you have some, jump in. Remember, this is extended Friday, so hopefully it is happy hour wherever you are sitting, um, but we will certainly get, get in a little deeper into that those sort of questions. But we've had broadly a lot of questions about if I want to ex- increase my exposure to gold, do I buy the physical commodity or do I buy the miners? And why why are we seeing a different different you know performance that has from less that, to from do groups. that has less to do with the asset class and does to do with the individual mm-hmm. what are you trying to cause to occur what time frames are you operating under how much risk are you willing to endure it's difficult for me to understand why anybody who has savings who wants to maintain their purchasing power would not own physical gold understand that it's an insurance asset so perversely you own it and then you hope it doesn't have a huge payout. Think about your life insurance. You don't get paid till you die. Are you eager to die so you can collect on the insurance policy? I don't reckon. Uh, auto insurance, to make paid, you got to have a wreck. Uh, home insurance, your house has to burn down. That's why you own gold. Uh, you own gold so that you will do okay if something bad happens. Recognize the asset then for what it is. Yeah. You own the senior gold stocks, uh, the big producers. Uh, as an investor, you own them for market beta. You own them because you think that the companies that you buy, you buy will outperform other companies in the sector, and you think that the sector will outperform other asset categories. You own the juniors and the exploration companies as a speculator. You are looking to take much more risk, accept much more volatility, and you're hoping for alpha against the whole gold mining industry as a whole. For myself, I play the waterfront. Uh, I own gold. Uh, because I'm interested in maintaining the purchasing power of my savings. I own the gold stocks because I understand them. I'm an investor, and I think they will deliver substantial beta relative to the broad market, and they'll do it for several years to come. I own the speculations, too, because I know enough about the sector, and I'm disciplined enough as a human being that I can outcompete most of my competitors in a speculative arena. People who are not tolerant of volatility and people who aren't willing to do the work should not get involved in the juniors. They should leave it to uh, people like me. Professionals, veterans. Uh, By the way, if you want to hear a little bit more about, I'm laughing as Rick said, I have tolerance. If you're tolerance for risk uh, and being a contrarian, if you want to hear more about some of the specifics around that, uh, go check out the podcast we did, My Life in Four Trades. Rick was on with me. It's some great stories. his past uh, risk-taking failures and triumphs, but it's it's pretty epic stuff, which explains why I introduced him as a commodity legend. Um, and those who who know that market know that. Um, you know, really interesting comment here. Dino's great, great comment in the chat. It depends on how you own gold. Hard to believe digital ownership is really 100% correlated with real gold. At first, I was thinking he was talking about digital assets, but um, Dino, correct me if I'm not interpreting this right, but I think he's talking about, you know, what you trade and 
very few people get physical delivery of gold, right? So it's there's a there's an aspect of it that's that's just in the markets and and digital or paper, however you want to call it. Um, is that something we need to be worried about, Rick? I mean, do you think that there is a I think it can be uh, mm. in several regards. There are several paper surrogates for gold that are represented by, gram by gram with gold in physical storage that is not hypothecated. Mm. It's not a delivery receipt. It's not a promise to pay. It's pay. It's payment. Commercial. I'm the largest shareholder of Sprott. The Sprott Physical Precious Metals uh, Trusts have their gold in the Royal Canadian Mint. The securities provided by NATO. Uh, they don't loan their gold to anybody. They only take physical gold and silver. They don't take a deposit receipts. The physical ETFs, which I personally regard as pretty good products, uh, are less stringent with regard to their inventory. Uh, they will take delivery receipts. They will mm -hmm. take deposit receipts, which until they receive the physical gold makes them semi-secured creditors of third parties, which scares me. Mm. The real problems come down to people buying gold from bullion dealers in unsegregated storage. What they really are is the unsecured creditor of the bullion dealer. So they better understand the bullion dealer pretty well. And of course, the fourth level uh, is the new crypto gold, where various people are offering up tokens uh, or other forms of really credit devices that are denominated in gold rather than backed in gold. In that sense, caveat emptor. Get to know your issuer very, very, very well. Uh, a promise to pay gold is not the same as gold. Yeah, excellent, excellent point and great question. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So one one issue, another issue that came up, and then we'll get to some questions, is, but this is really important, that uh, I think it came up with Michael Cow. we were talking about it, and he's like, I would like gold, but I always have a hard time with it, because at the end of the day, for the very reasons you think that you would want to have it as insurance, I don't know if central banks will be net buyers or net sellers of gold. And that that just, that worries me. I can't reconcile that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, as a libertarian, or rather as an anarcho-capitalist, I'm very sad that the central banks bought gold because I think they'll make a lot of money. Uh, and I think that anything that causes central banks to make a lot of money is contrary to the interests of humankind. Getting my political point of view out of the way, uh, I don't think that the future of gold will be determined by central banks. I think the future of the gold price will be determined by individual savers. The savers who have a choice uh, between having some of their savings in an asset class, which has protected them against inflation for a millennia, uh, or somebody who chooses to put their, their money in a U.S. 10-year treasury, getting paid 3.75% in a currency that's depreciating by 7%. The arithmetic to me is completely clear. Uh, and the future of gold, from my point of view, does not rely on central banks. I think in the very near term, to me, I think near term is three years, four years. In the near term, I think you're going to see more central bank buying of gold for two reasons. Central banks outside the United States are tired 
of the imposition of American values in an extraterritorial extraterritorial sense. Mm. They're sick of the weaponization of the dollar. They're sick of the weaponization of SWIFT. And foreign governments have a difficult time with that arithmetic. Why would you store your wealth in a U.S. Treasury when they guarantee that your purchasing power is reduced at the same time that they see themselves is as encouraging a bully who's acting in ways that is antithetical to their interest? So the question, uh, I think, uh, around central banks uh, has a nuanced answer. In the near term, the central banks are going to be useful because they have to increase their gold holdings as a consequence of the weaponization of the U.S. dollar and the horrible arithmetic uh, around U.S. long bonds. In the longer term, it isn't the central banks that will determine the price of gold. Uh, it will be the $760 trillion in wealth held by individuals around the world. Yeah, great answer. And Scott and Yo-Yo, I think that um, I, I asked it before I saw your question, so I think that addressed it. Fantastic. You guys are on fire today. Who said everyone's tired on Friday? You have you have so much energy with these great questions. So Charles asking, uh, Rick, do you know what the total value of the gold price short position is globally? What would happen if paper gold derivatives were covered all at once? So I don't know. I mean, you may, you, you knowing you, you may know the answer to that, but broadly, what does that setup look like? And is that something that you're worried about? I was going to say the, the, uh, the questioner uh, has an inflated sense of my knowledge. I do not know <laughs> the aggregate value of the short position against gold and silver uh, worldwide. I, I can tell you this, that uh, the gold and silver futures markets are heavily leveraged. It is not uncommon to see futures uh, trade on a daily basis a hundred times the value of the gold and silver uh, in vaults for physical delivery against those trades. Now, the vast majority of those trades don't settle for metal. You know, they settle for cash sometime before expiry. And it's also true that the major commodities and futures exchanges have put in place fail-safe measures, which is to say cash settlements. If you had a real short squeeze, uh, what I suspect would happen is that the exchanges would not require physical settlement, but rather would require cash settlement. I don't think that matters. I don't think that the future uh, of gold and silver investing and speculating, I don't think that the efficaciousness of that trade has to do with a short squeeze. I think if we had a circumstance that caused the threat of a short squeeze, that you would already be happy with the performance <laughs> of your gold and silver. For those people who believe that there's going to be a short squeeze and that the people who are short gold aren't going to be able to cover, understand that according to the rules of the exchange, they don't have to cover. They can cash settle. Uh, another question. Again, I mean, this is, you guys are on fire. Amit asking, what do you think of CBDC base gold? I hate it. Uh, How do we know Rick was going to say that? Central I, I bank guess digital currency. Giving the government the ability to decide what sort of citizen you are and what you ought to do with your money. What could possibly go wrong with that? Uh, they say that it is an advantage that they can actually cancel your currency. 
Maggie, let's say that, uh, I don't know, some group concerned with safe driving got in control of the White House and you got three speeding tickets. <laughs> Not an unlikely event. Uh, if someone in a fit of peak because of the way you drove decided to cancel 50% of your savings, how would you feel about that? Would you feel good about that? Of all of the cockamamie, dangerous ideas I've ever seen in my life, central bank digital currencies comes out very, very, very high, irrespective of your political beliefs. Would you like Trump in charge of your savings? Would you like Biden in charge of your savings? Would you like Xi in charge of your savings? How about Stalin, Mao, Hitler? Um, mercifully, <laughs> no, I'll leave it alone. That's too inflammatory. <laughs> Suffice I, it to say, I could see, we could see I, I Rick, Rick like thinking about that. <laughs> I don't like that idea at all. Well, I'm glad you have an opinion about it. We, yeah, we, 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 I had a feeling that was going to elicit a strong one. Uh, so listen, I just want to give everyone a heads up. I'm going to continue with the questions. As you know, extended Friday, we're going to flip over to the platform. I don't want to hear anybody crying about, uh, you know, the cutoff. Um, you're always welcome to come with us. QR code, free trial. So much great stuff to take advantage of. And we got to keep the lights on. So, you know, you understand the way this works, but we hope you come with us. If you don't have a great weekend, we're not going to go just yet, but when that happens, um, but do take advantage of it. Um, not only do we just have that huge festival of learning, there's just so much good stuff. And now is the time we heard from everyone, in including Rick, that you really have to pay attention to what's happening with your portfolio. It's not just press a button and leave it alone for two years when we're in that ultra low interest rate environment. It's getting trickier um, and we're trying to help in any way we can. So come on and come on our learning tribe community, if you will. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.